Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. And you can be seated. Look at somebody around you here at the campuses at 12 Stone Home. Tell them, I'm glad I'm in church today. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Across the campuses, in living rooms, at the barn, wherever you're at. And I'm glad to be in church today. See, welcome to 12 Stone. Whether this is your very first time with us, I know over the last several weeks and months, we've had lots of guests and folks showing back up to church for the first time ever or the first time in a long time. Welcome. We're so glad that you're hanging out with us and you're jumping in at a really great time in the life of this church. Because last weekend, we started sort of a, a five-week run through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts, we're calling it something of our family photo album, where we're looking back at our, our history as a church family, at the early picture of what our church looked like. And we're looking back every week as sort of a family photo, a snapshot in time, and we're going to do that again today, and so we're glad that you're with us. I want to start by giving you a look at one of my family photos. This is a picture of my grandfather and my grandmother. Oh, they're both with Jesus now. But the, 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 this picture brings back so many memories, some of which I can't share, but I'll never forget. Do you remember the first time your grandparent yelled at you? Like as you, when you're a young kid, it's all candy and butterflies, everything's good. I was jumping on his bed and he came in with a flask water and popped me. And I was like, never the same. I was like, you never do that. That's my grandfather. His name is Weldon Atwood Berry. That's a strong name. And Weldon Atwood Berry, he hated his name. He went by Atwood his whole life. I thought it's a cool name. My brother said, uh, Grandpa, if, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him Atwood. He said, please don't. I hated my name my whole life. Well, about a year ago, he had a son and named him Atwood Berry in, in honor of him. See, my, my, my family has a legacy because of this man. He was a pastor. He loved Jesus. Although he didn't even graduate the eighth grade, he was one of the wisest men I ever knew. See, he had four sons, three of which are pastors, one's a dentist, and now I'm a third-generation pastor in great part because of the legacy of that man right there, Weldon Atwood Berry. See, as I, I look back and remember him, he used to always end every phone call. I have, I have no knowledge of him never doing this. He always ended any conversation, any phone call. He'd say, Jason, I'm so proud of you, but keep your nose clean. And here's what he meant by that. Your character matters. Like, son, listen to me. It matters that your private world matches to your public world. And I still look back and remember those words, and they haunt me at least once a week. Keep your nose clean, son. I can still hear him say it. Keep your nose clean. It's why we've been saying in this series that sometimes in order to move forward, we have to look backward. Like as we try to figure out how do we, how do we rebuild the rhythms of life again, right? This year, the last 18 months has been crazy and we're trying to figure out how do we put life back together. Sometimes the best way to know how to move forward is to look backward. And that's what we're doing inside of this series is we're looking back at our church family, at our family photo album, and we're taking a look at those stories and saying, God, Based on what was true in the beginning of the church, how do we as individuals and as a church move forward into the future? And if you were here last week and you remember, Pastor Trey sort of started this out in this series and, and he explained the fact that when we look back on the book of Acts, this is not just a, a bunch of stories of strangers, this is our faith family. 
And if you remember back, we had the family tree that traced its roots all the way from Jesus, all the way up to us here at 12 Stone and to you right here and right now. See, the book of Acts is not impersonal. It's not just a, a random nonfiction story or biography we're reading. The book of Acts is our family story, and we can trace the legacy from Jesus all the way to us through all of history. And so as we look back, we have a chance to know how do we move forward. And today we are talking about one of the most impactful men in all of scripture. His name was Paul. Y'all probably heard the name Paul before, right? Paul is, is one of the most impactful men. He was a giant of the faith. Apart from Jesus Christ himself, I don't know of another human that has impacted me or the church more in all of history. Paul wrote 13 of the New Testament books. That's pretty impressive. He was dedicated as a missionary, and he went all over the Roman Empire, three or four missionary journeys, depending on how you splice them up. He, he was a prolific church planner. He planted over 12 churches. This is a man who did miracles, healed people, even raised someone from the dead. Paul was a spiritual giant, a hero of the faith. But what you don't maybe know about Paul is he wasn't even born with the name Paul. When he was born, his parents gave him the name Saul. And he had a life, a lot of life, before all those things got listed in his biography. He had a life before that. See, we're introduced to Paul in the book of Acts, and he's named Saul, his birth name. And he looks nothing like the person I just listed. So I want us to take a look as we dive in to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 7 a little bit, chapter 8 a little bit, and we're going to camp out in chapter 9 of Acts. And we're going to see perhaps the top three most important moments in the life of our church, except for the creation of the world and the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know that there's many other events more important than the one we're reading about and learning about today. So let me set the scene. The date was approximately 36 AD. The city was Jerusalem, and the scene was there's an early Christian named Stephen who just got done preaching to the Sanhedrin in front of all of the Jewish religious leaders, and they were not happy about it. Like he, if you read through chapter seven, you read through the reality that Stephen preached one of the most beautiful messages of all time. You'd think everyone's going to change their hearts. It's going to be amazing. Not so much. This is the instance that we are introduced to Saul, who we know as Paul, but this is his early life. Let's see what scripture says. And at this, so he, Stephen had just got done preaching this gospel message, and these are the religious leaders. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They sound like infants, don't they? Like, ah! They all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is our introduction to Saul in all of Scripture. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fall on, fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and he died. Our introduction to Paul, the guy that wrote 13 books in the New Testament, is at an event that is documenting the first Christian killed for his faith. And they had laid their coats at Saul's feet because Saul was the one who was blessing this death. Doesn't sound at all like this missionary, this church planner, does it? This is a different person. What's going on? And it gets worse. It, goes, it actually goes on in Acts 8. Here's what, it, here's what it says about Paul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It got worse. Saul's bloodlust was not quenched in killing Stephen. Now he wanted to destroy the whole church. He wanted to, to tear down all that God was doing through the early church. And he would go house to house and he would beat Christians and imprison them and even kill these Christians. He wanted to destroy the entire church. Like this is a, this is a different cat than I know about in these 13 books of the New Testament as the writer and a missionary and a church player. It's a different guy. But that's the introduction we get to him in Scripture. See, a little bit about who he was. What would create a man like that? You see, Saul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was the city he was raised in, right on the Syrian border next to Turkey. Tarsus was a distinguished city because it would have been, had an incredible educational institution. It would have been like a Harvard or a Yale of our day. And Saul would have been trained with the best. And he would have learned year after year about the Old Testament and the law, and he would have been an incredible scholar. See, his father was both a Roman citizen and a Jew. So Saul would have had a unique sort of identity in that he was a Roman citizen with all the rights and privileges, but also he was a devout Jew. And at 13, like devout Jewish boys would do, he would have been shipped off to Jerusalem. And he studied under a teacher named Gamaliel who was a famous teacher back then, one of the best teachers of the Old Testament and of the law. And Saul would have literally spent years of his life memorizing the Old Testament. Memor like, open your Bible and like Old Testament, memorizing the Old Testament. This dude was a devout, religious guy. He would have spent hours arguing with Gamaliel about the law and question and answer and just deepening this religiosity inside of him. And so by the time that he got done being trained, he'd have gone back to Tarsus, and he would have been a massive religious leader there, a teacher that would have been world-renowned. People knew the name of Saul, but his religiosity drove him places that were not healthy. You see, Saul's anger was fueled at these new Christians because the message they were preaching was undercutting everything he had built his life on. See, he, he had spent all these years becoming a religious scholar of the Old Testament. Suddenly, these new Christians show up and they start talking about the fact that there's only one way to, G to God is through the person of Jesus. It's not all these rules and laws you have to follow. And so he started to attack them because it was undercutting everything he built his life on. Listen, and don't miss this. He thought he was serving God by doing this. Like Saul wasn't thinking... I, I'm rebelling against God. He thought he was serving God. I don't have time to teach this, but listen, a religious spirit always makes you protect the wrong things and attack the wrong things. If you're pursuing religion, it always makes you protect the wrong things and attack the wrong things. And Saul was protecting this, this Jewish religion. He was attacking the Christian faith because although he was religious, devoutly religious, he missed a relationship with the person of Jesus. And that's what drove him to where he is right now. See, Luke said it simply. He said, Saul laid waste to the church. Like, I want you to feel the gravity of who this man was. He would have been known across the entire early church. If you hear Saul's coming, you run and hide. That's who this guy was. He's the bully at school times a thousand. He's the bad guy in the movie times a thousand. This dude was bad. 
And when he finished purging Jerusalem of all the known Christians, he was still thirsty for more. And so he heard that in the city of Damascus, there was a new group of Christians growing in that city, which would have been about a six-day ride from Jerusalem up to Damascus. And so he, he asked the religious leaders in Jerusalem, can I have your permission to go and purge Damascus of all these new Christians? They gave him letters of permission, and he made his way towards this city with the intent of driving all of the Christians out and thwarting the work of the church. But as we're about to see in Acts chapter 9, God had other plans. And that's good news for all of us, and we're going to see why. God had other plans. See, in Acts chapter 9, here's where the story picks up in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way. That would have probably been a sarcastic moniker given to Christians. Like it would have been a, a name they'd use to make fun of them because Christians preached that Jesus was the only way to the Father. And so they'd make fun of him like the way. Like these dummies over there, the way. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice this. God called him by his name. You've heard this said, the evil one, Satan, calls you by your sin. Jesus always calls you by your name. And he knew Saul. Even while Saul was an enemy persecuting the church, he called him by his name. And here's where the story gets good. Saul says this, who are you, Lord? Notice immediately. Saul immediately calls him Lord. He had spent decades of his life serving this Lord he thought was God. And in one moment, he knew he was whipped. It's like my son, when I wrestle with him, like he knows the difference between I'm playing and like, okay, I'm done wrestling. Like he knows when he's whipped, like he's in the, and he's like, okay, I love you, dad. You're the best. And he knows he's whipped. That's what happened with Saul. Like in a moment, bright light. Who are you, Lord? In a moment, it all changed. He knew he was whipped in that moment. And he suddenly, in one instant, changed his allegiance. Boom. And all it took was who? I am Jesus. See, this wasn't an angel. This wasn't a vision. This was the resurrected Christ that came to talk to this man, Saul. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Saul was blind. Like he started his day, I'm going to Damascus to persecute Christians, runs into the person of Jesus and is now blind. And ironically, for the first time in his life, he can truly see. He's blind physically, but spiritually he's been awakened in about as much time as it took him to fall off his horse. He was awakened spiritually. And he's blinded and they lead him to the city. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days where he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. See, this was a massive, massive moment in church history. This man was persecuting the church and in an instant, his allegiance changed. But it gets complicated because the early church would have known the name Saul. This was not a random dude going to Damascus. This was public enemy number one. And it gets complicated because now the church has to wrestle with what do we do with this? And here's where the story continues in Acts chapter nine. 
in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, Ananias would have been the, the leader of the Christian movement in the city of Damascus. This was the dude. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, and this is such a human answer. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. This is such an honest answer. I love that the Bible leaves stuff in there like this because that's what I would have said. Like, I know this dude. I, I don't, I don't want to go there. If I show up, I'm like delivering myself on a silver platter to this dude who's going to kill me or arrest me or beat me. I, I don't say this cheaply, but I need you to understand the gravity. It would be like God coming to you in a vision in 2004 and saying, listen, I want you to go sit down with Osama bin Laden. You're crazy. No. That's what it would have been like for Ananias. This guy was a terrorist. And God said, no, I want you to go. And this is what God has to say about it. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God has chosen Saul. He could have picked anybody. Think about this. God could have picked and empowered anybody, but he picked Saul. He wants to demonstrate something to all of us. He wants to show how much power that God has in the gospel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. He could have called him a lot of things. A lot of things would have been appropriate in that moment. He could have just called him Saul. But he immediately said, brother Saul. He gave him a family title immediately. Why? Because when God forgives, we just agree. It's complicated, but when God forgives, we agree and say, welcome to the family. See, last weekend, Trey said, the beauty of the gospel is that it takes strangers and makes them family, but the power of the gospel is it can take enemies and make them family. And Saul was an enemy to God and the church and the early Christians, and in a moment, he was made family again. He said, Brother Saul, it's a beautiful moment. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. His life is changing rapidly. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. He went and immediately was baptized. And in that moment, his life was changed forever. See, this story, this family picture is of great consequence, not, not just back then, but to us here and now. You see, up until that point, the early church would have viewed this gospel message and they'd have said, man, I love what happened when Peter preached and thousands came to Jesus. I love that. And I love that the message is spreading grassroots all over the place. But up until this point, they didn't understand just how powerful the gospel was. They couldn't fathom the thought that this evil terrorist enemy Saul could be redeemed by the gospel. They couldn't have imagined it. And God used Saul as a demonstration of his mighty power. So the early church thought they were holding like a double A battery when in fact they were holding uranium. 
The power of the gospel was way more than they could have imagined. They would have up until this point perceived the gospel kind of safe and containable and polite, maybe even controllable. But in this moment, the church was awakened that the power of God was uncontainable, uncontrollable, could rescue the worst of us. You see, as we look back on this snapshot, we look back on this moment so that we know how to move forward going forward. We look back on this family snapshot and say, God, if that is true, then so what? See, when you read scripture, I love the so what question. Then so what? If Saul, this evil man, was, was turned into a follower of Jesus, in fact, you know that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. You know why? The name Paul in Greek means weak or humble. Like he took on a new name because he has a new identity. I mean, small and humble. So why do we look back on that? Because I think there's three things that I would encourage you to write down. Type it in your phone, text yourself, notes app, piece of paper. There are three things that I think the Spirit of God wants to inject into the life of this church. How do we move forward as a church? Well, here's how. If the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, then so what? And we're going to answer those three questions together. If the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, then here's the first one I want you to write down. No one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. If you understood the power of that statement, you would have clapped and cheered and hollered with that statement. We're going to try it again, and you're going to, you're going to actually understand the power of the statement. No one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. What do we do with that? Thank you, God. That's good news, because I know some of y'all. That's real good news. No one is beyond the grace of God. If God can do that for Saul, then there ain't nobody that's beyond the hand, the reaching, saving hand of God. See, Paul, in his own words, here's what he says in 1 Timothy. I love this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Paul, am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, in my story, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul was saying, listen, God chose me because I was the worst of the worst. And if God can do this for me, he could do this for anybody. See, God chose him because God, I think God wanted to make a point saying, yeah, when I said anybody, I meant anybody. See, I would guess the early church, if they were allowed to take a vote, if God came down and gathered the early Christians and said, okay, this Saul guy, they're like, yeah, we know him. What do we do with him? Like, what do you want to do with this Saul guy? I think the early church would have voted to re remove him, not rescue him. They would have voted like, yeah, God, kill that dude. <laughs> He's real bad. We're real scared. Be done with that guy. They would have voted to remove him, not rescue him. And if we're honest, there are people around us that sometimes we would rather God would remove than rescue. See, if the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, then no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. So stop acting like it. How do we move forward as a church? How do you move forward? Move forward understanding that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And yes, that means the person that hurt you. And yes, that means the person who voted different than you. 
And yes, that means the person who betrayed you. And that means the, the person that you're a little bit afraid of. No one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. See, my kids were, a couple years ago, they had a, a kid in the neighborhood that they didn't get along with, and he was sort of a bully. And at prayer time one night, I can't remember which kid did it, so I'm not going to hose any of them. One of them said this. They're in their prayers to say, God, would you just take that kid away? Would you make him go away? And I'm like, what are you praying, dude? It's like, I'm, I'm hoping God doesn't answer all your prayers. Like the faith of a child. Oh, no, we got a homicide on our hands here. We said, dude, what are you doing? It's like, dad, that kid's so mean. I want him. It's childish, but it's, it's still true. We, we said, son. Your prayer is not that they would be removed. Our prayer is that they would be rescued. Like, let's pray and ask that Jesus would get a hold of his heart. Like, that would actually fix this, right? The kid doesn't need a new address. He needs a savior. He doesn't need to get out of your life. He needs to have God in his life. So that's the direction we started to turn our prayers for that kid. You see, as a church, we are going to decide we're going to be an Ananias church. How do we move forward? We move forward like Ananias did. Brother Saul, we're going to treat people like family because they have the opportunity to be saved because no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And in your mind, as you close your eyes, picture the person that is the one that you can't stand the most, the one who's hurt you the most, the one who's done the most bad to you. As you picture that face, that face can be reached by the grace of God. And like Saul, if the grace of God would impact their life, everything else would change. And let me just have an aside for the other side. So if no one's beyond the grace of God, stop acting like you are. There are some of you who have mess going on in your life right now. And some of y'all look back at your past and you go, this Jesus thing sounds good for you guys, but that's, that's not for me. I, if you knew what I did, if you knew who I was, I mean, if you could play the highlight reel of my worst moments, trust me, God's not interested in me. You see, I believe God picked Saul for you. I believe the God of the universe picked Saul, the worst of the worst in that time, and rescued and transformed and redeemed him so that I could stand here right now and tell you, you are not beyond the reach of the grace of God. He, he is in love with you. His heart breaks for where you are right now, but you are not beyond rescue. Stay in this conversation with us, man. Stay in 12 Stone Homes. Stay at a campus. Stay in this conversation. You are not beyond rescue. You see, the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, then no one's beyond the grace of God. Second thing I want you to write down. Second thing we can pull from this story of Saul to Paul. The power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul. And again, if you understood this, you would clap and you would cheer and you would say, thank you, Jesus. There's nothing like it. Your past does not disqualify you from a future. That's good news. And again, this is good news because I know some of y'all, your past does not disqualify you from a future. If anyone's past would DQ them from a future, it would be Saul. He literally killed Christians. It wasn't like he was just a mean person. He literally killed Christians. 
Don't show of hands here or at the campuses. Have you ever chased Christians and killed them? Don't do it. You, there would be no hands, hopefully. Like, you didn't do that. That's bad. And yet, God used that man to write half the New Testament. God used that man to plant 12 plus churches. If the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, then your past does not disqualify you from a future. And here's Saul's own words in the book of Philippians. I love this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, I forget what's behind me. I leave my past in the past. I look forward to the calling that God has on my life. See, Paul is a picture for all of us because his past did not disqualify him from God using him in the future. And I've, I've seen this too much and I've been in too many of these conversations that there's a group of you here, 12 Stone Live, 12 Stone Home, Watch the Line, where you don't, you don't question your salvation, but you do question your kingdom usefulness. Don't, don't breeze over this. You don't question if you're going to heaven in eternity. You're like, yes, I, I've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, but I don't believe God can actually use me. I don't have a place in the kingdom here and now. I'm just trying to get to the other side. And Paul's story would beg you and say, no, 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 no. Your past does not disqualify you from having a future. You see, Saul was a man who once destroyed the church and then he started planting churches. Saul was once a man who tried to bury the message of the gospel, and now he's writing the scriptures we read. Saul was once a man who tried to kill Christians, and now he's willing to die for his faith. See, his past did not disqualify his future. In fact, the opposite is true. Your past qualifies you to speak into other people's futures. Here's a statement. This, this is, I can't teach it, but I want you to write it down. God gives you authority where you have walked. God gives you authority where you have walked. And the things you've walked through, God oftentimes calls you to help others walk through. We live in a time where you are canceled because of your past in our culture. I dug up an old tweet, you're canceled. I saw an old home video, you're canceled. That's what our culture is doing. But in the kingdom of God, God says, I see your past and I want to use it. I don't cancel you because of what you did. I want to use you because of your past. And you sit here and say, man, I walked through addiction. I can't be used. Really? God gives you authority where you walk. You walked through addiction. You met Jesus. And now you can help other people walk through it. You go, man, I've been divorced. I, I, I'm imperfect. I messed that up. Really? You were divorced, but now you know Jesus. You can help other marriages walk through this. Other people walk through these seasons. You go, man, I was sexually promiscuous in middle school and high school and college and my single life. What do I have to say? Some of the best middle school and high school small group leaders we have are people who made massive mistakes then. And they're coming back to these middle schoolers and high schoolers and saying, listen, I want to save you the heartache. Because God gives you authority where you have walked. You've walked through greed and materialism. You've walked through hate and anger. You've walked through atheism. And you're going, listen, God can't use me. No, 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 no. In fact, God oftentimes wants to use you in the exact place of your biggest mistakes. For Saul, 
when he became Paul, the way he writes in the rest of the New Testament is unbelievable because he understands grace in a way that few of us do. Like when he says, you were dead in your sin, we read that really churchy, like I was dead in my sin. No, Paul understood it because he had no idea just how dead he was until Jesus showed up. The way he writes, the way God used him the rest of his life was in light of who he used to be. And some of y'all, the only reason God brought you here today is this. Listen, your past does not disqualify you from having a future. God wants to use you. The kingdom of God has been built by people with messy pasts running into Jesus and being given a new future. This is how the church has expanded for thousands of years. This is God's plan. He was counting on the messy part because he knew before Jesus that's what it was. If the power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul, it means that your past doesn't DQ you from a future. Here's the third one. And again, if you understood this, man, you would clap and you would holler and you'd be running the aisles. I don't, but if you don't get it, you can just be quiet. Here's the third one. The power of the gospel can change Saul to Paul. You don't have to settle for hopeless. That's good news. You don't have to settle for hopeless. And this is where we're going to camp. And this is where we're going to bring it really practical. See, we have hope because with Jesus, everything can change in a moment. And that means that there's no such thing as hopelessness in the kingdom of God. Yes, there are headwinds. There are setbacks, there are frustrations, there are disappointments, there are losses, but there is no such thing as hopelessness because whatever person or situation or circumstance you're in, it can be changed in a moment because of Jesus. And as you look back at the story of Saul to Paul, there was no strategic plan for Saul to be redeemed. Like the early church didn't have a plan like, I'm going to go sit at his table and leave him a gospel tract on the table. How many remember gospel tracts? Anybody? If you've, ever, if you've ever left a waitress a fake $20 bill that's a tract, shame on you. How dare you do that? There, there, was, there was no like discipleship strategy that we're going to like relationally get close to Saul and like work this thing out and start sharing our testimony. There was no strategic plan. God just in a moment changed everything. And the good news of this story is that in a moment, the God of the universe can change everything. Here's Paul's own, own words one more time. It's so my favorite prayers that I pray over my life all the time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That You may overflow with hope. See, Paul understood hope because he'd been through some stuff and he had no hope before Jesus. But in Christ, he knew there's no such thing as hopeless. And here's the danger of hopelessness. Hopeless always leads you to settle. Like it leads you to settle for less. It's like when you're on a road trip and you're driving and you're hoping the next exit has good food. Like when you're driving, Chick-fil-A is like Ruth's Chris, right? Like that's the gold standard for, for driving. And so you go to the next exit and it's like, McDonald's and Burger King again. McDonald's and Burger King. There's a subway. Maybe that. There's no Chick-fil-A. And finally, what do you do? You finally lose hope. I've not seen a Chick-fil-A sign in hours. And so you pull in and you get McDonald's and you regret your life for the next two days. And then the next exit, inevitably, Chick-fil-A, come on, what's going on? 
Chick-fil-A, I need road signs from 300 miles out. Like, just let me know what's coming. See, when you don't have hope, you settle for less. And over the last 18 months, I know in this room, across our campuses in 12 Stone Home, there's been some of us who have, who have slipped from hopeful to hopeless in some areas. And when you start to settle into hopeless, you always settle for less. And maybe you're in the dating season right now, and you're single, and you're watching social media, and your next friend got engaged, and your next friend got engaged, and you start to get hopeless and say, God, you don't have somebody for me. So what do you do? You start looking around at all the plan B's and C's and D's and Z's, and you, just, you start to think about settling, because hopeless always leads to settling. And maybe you're hearing God's just whispering, there is hope. I can change your story in a minute. I, I have a plan for your life. Don't settle for less. Maybe you're in a marriage and over the last 18 months, you've sort of looked around. You've had more time to think. And you, when you dreamed about what marriage would look like when you were younger, you didn't dream about what you're living in right now. And you always thought, me, we would laugh freely. We'd have a good time together. And now you feel like roommates, ships passing in the night. And you've just sort of gone from hopeful to hopeless. And you've settled into a marriage and you go, I guess this is what I got. And maybe God brought you here just to whisper, there is hope. I can change everything. Maybe over the last 18 months, you've settled into an addiction. And you fought it for a long time and you were hopeful. God, would you change this? And you've just sort of settled in and said, God, I guess this is my life now. I just make that addiction a part of my life and I'll just sort of put it in the corner and go deal with it when I need to. But then I'll just, this is the best hope I have. Maybe God's going, no, there is hope. I can change these things. Maybe you had dreams for your career and your future. And over the last year, things have been stolen and robbed from you. And you're sitting here and you're hopeless and you're going, well, I guess this is the best, best I got here. Maybe you look around our country right now and it's easy to get hopeless. Isn't it? Watch the news for 10 minutes. Pick your station. And I look around and go, it's hopeless. How do you fix the divides that are here? Whether real or perceived, how do you fix a mess like this? And what you can do is start to get hopeless. And here's what you do. You settle. And you stop fighting for the things you should fight for. You stop caring about people like you used to care about them. And you just settle and go, this is the new world. I'll live on this side of the fence. They'll live on that side of the fence. And we'll never cross paths again. I'll get in my camp and you get in your camp and you get hopeless. See, that's why I've given my life to preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is the only hope we have. Because the way this world changes is one soul at a time. See, there's no politician. There's no policy. There's no nonprofit that can do in a lifetime what Jesus can do in a moment. And that's why we have hope. That's the hope of Jesus. And church, a hopeless world needs a hope-filled church. And this world has tried a lot of things to fix what's going on. And it never will fix the problem. Because the problem sits right in here. And if the story of Saul to Paul teaches us anything, it means that you don't have to settle for hopeless. In your dating life, your married life, your character, your private world, your vocation, your calling. And maybe what God wants to do is as we look back at this story, we look forward and say, God, if you can change Saul to Paul, I can always have hope. That means I never have to settle. 
See, I started the teaching talking about my grandfather. The giant of the faith, a role model for me. He lived out what it meant to love Jesus. I never knew any different until I was old enough for my dad to tell me the rest of the story. So you saw my grandfather as an old man who loved Jesus, but here's him when he was younger. That's him on the left. What you don't know is that he grew up in a home where his father was an alcoholic, physically, emotionally abusive, ran out on his wife, my great-grandmother, his mother, and he was, he had a front row seat to watching that. And his life was headed that direction. See, when that's all you have to see, if that's what a husband and a man is, then you start following that path, and that's where his life was headed. He dropped out of school in the eighth grade. His father was a farmer. He was going to be a farmer. That was his life. And then someone invited him to a revival tent meeting that was traveling. Like literally, they set up a tent. And he showed up to that tent meeting. And he was hard-hearted, and he sat there. What's this guy got to say? And in that revival meeting, the Spirit of God began to speak to his heart. And he had to humble himself. He was a proud man. He had to humble himself and walk to the front. He went to the altar. He surrendered his life to Jesus. And in that moment, everything changed. See, my family tree, if, like, if, if you could have shown a digital representation of our family tree, you would have seen like a lightning bolt split the tree in half and say, from this point forward, this is what the berries are going to be about. Before this, they were about pleasure and hedonism and whatever your appetite said, go do it. And from this point forward, the berries will be about Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what, what Paul did for the early church, Atwood Berry did for the Berry family. He changed our trajectory. And what happened when Saul turned to Paul was it changed the trajectory of our faith family. See, and if God can do that, there's never hopelessness in the kingdom of God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song to give you a moment to reflect. And here's what I want you to do. See, as we look back at this story, now we have to figure out how do we move forward? Maybe you want to grab a notes app on your phone or text yourself or a scrap of paper. And I want you to answer an honest question between you and God. Where have you grown hopeless? Where have you stopped believing that the power of God can change a person or a circumstance or a situation? Maybe you've got an adult kid that's wandered from the faith and you've just grown weary of praying and grown weary of sharing your faith with them. And maybe God today is going, no, don't put that down. Don't go hopeless. Don't settle power of the gospel says you don't have to settle for less. You can rise up to the hope of Jesus. Maybe it's just you write the word, my marriage, my addiction, my future husband, my future wife, the career that I thought I was called to. Where have you gotten hopeless? And after this song is played, the campus pastor is going to step up, Pastor David for 12 Stone Home, and, and we're going to invite you if you want to come forward to be prayed over here. We're going to explain how 12 Stone Home will look here in a minute. Because we, we don't want you to leave this place without the hope, the gospel to change everything. If God can change Saul to Paul, God can change your marriage. God can change your character. God can free you from that addiction. God can change your future. So take the next 90 seconds or so. Get a piece of paper, a phone. And just between you and your heavenly father, where are you hopeless? 
and we're going to give you an opportunity to be prayed over and we're going to pray over you. So would you lead us, Kim? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.